Friday afternoon and it's time to join us on Facebook Live once again because it is Marshy Movie Time. James, good afternoon. What's occurring? Good afternoon. Uh, yeah, we've got some interesting stuff this week. We have The Father, which is a big Oscar contender starring Anthony Hopkins Ooh, and Olivia oh Coleman. Yes. Yep. We also have the uh, new rebooted video game adaptation of Mortal Kombat. And there's a couple of dramas. There's, there's a, actually a, a mainland Chinese film called Hi Mum, uh, which is now the second biggest film from anywhere of all time at the Chinese box office, right. which is just opening in Hong Kong. So we should talk about that. How much more that than um, The Great Wall? Because that was huge, wasn't it? Boom. Was it The Great Wall? Oh, a lot, a lot more. That, that did okay. I don't think that was one of the absolute biggest. You're going to ask me what's number one now, and no, I no. can't remember. No, no, because you plainly don't know. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got, we got lots to talk about. However, we are in the midst of awards season. Uh, you know, we're only a couple of weeks away now from the Oscars, uh, but we do have another critical award ceremony has now happened, mm -hmm. and so we have to see how that affects everything. That's the SAG Awards, the Screen Actors Guild Awards. So, you know, essentially uh, actors voting for other actors. Uh, obviously, they don't do a best picture, but they do do a best ensemble, which is kind of their version of it. And interestingly, that went to uh, Aaron Sorkin's trial of the Chicago 7. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, often people try and, and compare that with the what's going to win best picture. Uh, this year's best picture uh, front runner is Nomadland, which isn't really an ensemble piece in the same way. And so that, I don't think, even was nominated in the category. It did not win. Trial of the Chicago 7, if it is anything, it is definitely a, a big ensemble. You know, huge cast yeah, for that yeah. one. Uh, so it's, it's unsurprising. And I think, I think it's a fair win there. Um, the best supporting actor and actress categories are really shoring up now uh for you know uh daniel kaluuya for judas and the black messiah won again so i think he is the absolute deadlock for uh for the oscar for that which will be great good to see another brit winning for playing another american seems to happen a lot <laughs> and they always reward them for it so that's all good um in the supporting actress category yep Still a little bit of uh, in uncertainty going on there, but the uh, Korean veteran screen icon uh, Yoon Yoo-jong uh, won for her role in Minari, which is this Korean-language-American film right. that uh, is also up for a number of awards. And I think that is where we're going to see Minari score score in the in the Oscars, if anywhere. Uh, great to see her. I mean, it's showing Hollywood's continued love with Korean cinema at the moment. You know, that's two years in a row now that, you know, big Korean language films are, are up for the major awards. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for them just to reward someone who has been on our screens, or on Korean screens at least, since, like, the 1960s. Yeah. So... I think those two are pretty much pretty much kind of locked in now. Um, in the best leading actor categories, Chadwick Boseman again wins a posthumous award for uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and mm. I think that is now a dead sir. I think he's pretty much won everywhere. Although his main competition is Anthony Hopkins in The Father, which we will talk about shortly. Um, it would be an upset if anybody other than other than Chadwick Boseman won at this stage. And the whole, and the whole like, premise of that is so original. Who's ever seen a drama based in a 1920s recording studio, for goodness sake? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's it's based on a stage play by Ken Powers, uh, uh, but it does a pretty good job of uh, drawing its audience into that world. Yeah. I don't think it's it completely manages to break free of its theatrical trappings, but you know, uh, there are worse problems uh, because to have it's with all set film. in limited location it's it's essentially yeah all set in this basement studio yeah yeah pretty much the whole thing i mean the film does sort of break out a little bit there's an incident in the street outside um ha- that obviously wouldn't happen in the play but uh by and large it's a, it's a single set and uh, the film deals with that space in quite interesting ways yeah you bet. um however the most interesting category this year is shaping up to be best actress uh, because Viola Davis won the SAG Award uh, for her role in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom mm-hmm. as the kind of very temperamental prima donna singer, uh, which now means that a different actress has won each of the major uh, awards so far. There is no front runner whatsoever. Um, you saw Carrie Mulligan win at the Critics Critics Choice Awards. You saw at the Golden Globes Andra Day win uh, for the United States versus Billie Holiday, and also Rosamund Pike win there for I Care a Lot, and she's not even nominated for an Oscar. Um, so nobody currently has won more than one of these sort of major sort of run-up awards. We have the BAFTAs still to come, like the week before the Oscars, and then obviously the Oscars happening uh, in about two weeks' time. Mm. And it, right now it's everything everything to play for. People are now saying, oh, does this make Viola Davis the favourite? And I'm like, not necessarily. And not and everybody loves her and she is great and she's great in the film, but um, she has won fairly recently and I know that that's not, that shouldn't be a reason not to give it to her again, but it often is. And I think that that is also what might be working against Frances McDormand. Because Frances McDormand obviously is the, the very core of the best picture of the year, you know, mm. Nomadland. Uh, and she is being nominated in every one of these awards shows, and she has yet to win one of them. Uh, and I, I wonder whether part of that is the fact that she only, she only won a couple of years ago, and she had won before that. And people do think that way. I know they shouldn't, but people do, and they're like, oh, well, let's give it to somebody else. So we're now going into the Oscars in uh, what I think it's... I think it's, yeah, about two, three weeks. And there is no clear front runner for that particular award. And that is rare good. at this stage in the game. And good and exciting. And it'll certainly help the event. And this year of, of all years, the event itself needs whatever sort of tension and excitement it can bring. Because obviously it's going to be a very strange sort of part in-person, part virtual sort of hybrid oh, event. Yeah, of course. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, I feel quite sorry for whoever's winning these years. You know, people like Daniel Kaluuya and whomever who are winning, you know, again and again and again because this is a big moment, you know. And part, I think, of what makes it a big moment is to stand up in front of that room full of all these incredible sort of stars that you've probably grown up watching uh, and, and you know, be recognised by them. And they're not going to have that experience. And if they're, you know, and a lot of people would dismiss awards, awards outright, but if there is anything that you can take away from you know the experience of winning an award it's that moment where you get to sitting in stand your kitchen up and take, your, take <laughs> your bow well this is it yeah and they're just doing it sort of in their underwear at home it's just like it's not it's not quite the same and that's they're going like and who's who's provided the underwear this year <laughs> well yes who are you wearing calvin klein marks and spencers anyway yeah all right then fantastic uh, any more on the oscars and awards and bits 
just we will see. Still looking into ways that we could watch it in Hong Kong as TVB is not are not showing it for commercial reasons. Oh come reasons. on, we're, we're uh, resourceful people. Yeah, it? sure, sure. We are we are resourceful, and so you know what one must explore one's resources. Uh, and so yeah, I will do my level best to do that. Good boy. But we shall see. So yeah, so that's all, that's all. That's where we are still to come. Uh, BAFTAs and the Oscars. Uh, but we should probably talk about a movie. Yeah, let's we? do it. What you got? Okay, so um, let's talk about High Mum. Mm-hmm. Now, we were just talking about Calvin Klein underwear, <laughs> and uh, Calvin Klein underwear obviously is a big part of Back to the Future. And this film is something of a kind of Chinese riff oh, get on it. Back, High to, Mom. Back to yeah, the yeah, Future. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this is this this has been huge, absolute monster success at the Chinese box office. Came out Chinese New Year and has romped to now second place of all time, and the the most successful film directed by a woman. And it's directed by Jia Ling, who writes, directs, and stars in the film. Mm. So kudos to her. So she plays a character called Xiao Ling, who is, it's set in 19, uh, sorry, set in 2001, and she is a 18-year-old sort of high school graduate to a single mother. Um, she has been nothing but trouble uh, to her mum ever since she was a kid. She just she spoiled, she underachieved, good or nothing, pretty much. And uh, she, it has just been exposed that she has kind of faked her acceptance papers into university. Mm-hmm. And this is exposed at the big celebration party that her mum throws for her, for all of her mum's friends, in order to finally show off about something that her daughter has managed to achieve, only for it to be all exposed as a... Um, as a sham. Uh, shortly thereafter, her mum gets hit by a truck and is on death's door, lying on her deathbed. And Shaoling sort of prays to the prayers, prays to the gods, and says, "Please help me. I want to make everything right. I want to be good to my mum. And is there anything I can do?" And she is magically transported back to 1981. Okay. Uh, and specifically to the factory where her young mother. Uh, who is now played by the rather excellent Sang Sang Xiaofei, um, is sort of a young woman about the same age, and she's just got a job at the factory, and uh, Xiaoling sort of quickly inserts herself into her life, pretends that she's a distant cousin, and sort of makes up and... So forget all that. I mean, you know the obvious question at this point. Forget all the uh, shooting your grandfather theory. You know, don't interfere with the past, etc. She goes bang straight in there. Yeah, they don't dwell a great deal on that kind of element of the Back to the Future story of, you know, if you tamper too much with your past, how is it going to affect her future? She goes all out to, like, I want to make my mum's life better. Gosh. You know, there are all of these there are all of these stories that she hears from her mum and from her mum's friends about events that happened when they were all working at this factory together and how her mum missed out on certain opportunities. So, so, so the physicists won't be queuing up to see this movie, as good as it might be. <laughs> no, quite, quite possibly yeah, not. Uh, instead, it goes, it goes really gung ho into okay, how can I make life better? How can I change history in order to improve the future? Kind of thing. Um, obviously, 1981 is was a sort of hu- is a huge sort of pivotal time in China, almost like sort of the 50s for back to, for Back to the Future. You know, it was great sort of economic growth going on. You know, working at one of these factories. I, I'm not entirely sure what the factory even makes, but it was considered quite a sort of 
prestigious job to have at the time, yes. even though, you know, by today's standards, their living conditions and all the rest of it aren't, aren't that great. They're living in dormitories, you know, they're living at their workplace and all the rest of it. Um, she helps her mum to secure the factory, its very first television, and so she wins all this kudos. And then she sort of starts sort of matchmaking and interfering in her romantic life and her personal life and all the rest of it. Um, so... It's it's actually you know it's and it's, she's it's still a there, James. I'm going to get off this in a minute, but she doesn't just disappear. If you think about it, no, <laughs> but it does. I mean, part of the story does revolve around exactly what you know what's going on and, and why. And um, yeah, that's the big question mark kind of hanging over everything that she's doing. She's trying to hook her mum up with somebody other than her father, and so no. okay, <laughs> yeah, you start raising questions about okay, how is this going to forget? And the, and the film does address this they do address like you know you realize that if you do this then you you won't exist um but because she f feels so guilty about having caused her mother so much stress she's almost willing to put her own life uh, her own existence on the line right. uh, but that's not really what it's about it's all about this sort of burgeoning friendship it's about her admiring her young mother and seeing all of her potential and how that she, she you know what a big-hearted uh, woman she is and how uh, the reason that she became much more sort of quiet and modest and almost curmudgeonly over the years was probably her fault uh so it sort of plays on those things but at the same time it is it is a comedy you know so it is sort of a romantic comedy she kind of hooks up with a, a young thug while she's trying to match make her her mother with 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 the son of the factory owner and what have you you know and it, and it goes through all, all the sort of typical shenanigans um it is quite funny and it does su succeed in being fairly entertaining uh there are obviously sort of a few tear-jerking moments but the one thing that kind of hangs over it and you cannot get it or i couldn't get past mm. is the fact that jia ling who's the like i said the multi-hyphenated uh creative force at the center of all this yep. is 38 years old and not if in the nicest possible way, not an especially useful, youthful 38-year-old. And she's playing an 18-year-old yeah. in this movie. And you're like, hang on a minute. You know, I get that this is based on, you know, uh, you know, part of this story is based on your own relationship with your mother and the grief that she felt for being... I think she was away at university when her own mother died and wasn't able to get back for her own mother's uh, funeral or whatever. And so that, that, is, that was the sort of the seed... Uh, for, for this particular story um, and that's all well and good and so I get it that you wanted to write this story you wanted to tell this story and this story is very personal to you but from an audience point of view you know you're not fooling anybody you are not an 18 year old by any stretch of the imagination and it's not even part of the of the plot she's not it, you know she's not um masquerading as an 18 year old this is just you know she is acting the part of an 18 year old and that I, that was a struggle to swallow i've got to be honest um elsewhere you know the film is is very sweet it is quite entertaining it is quite funny um the other actress who plays uh zhang zhang xiaofei who plays her young mother is great you know and and she's kind of like this poster child for um chinese prosperity you know in, in the 1980s the, the other thing that pops up which i thought was fairly interesting is um it's 1981, and as soon as they get the TV, the first thing that they end up watching on the TV is China's women's volleyball uh, win 
what volleyball teams win against Japan at the 1981 Asia Games, which is an event that seems to have cropped up, seems to crop up time and again in films. I mean, there was a whole film about it and about the national team uh, just last year by Peter Chang called Leap, and then but the year before that there was one of these big sort of prop propaganda anthology films called My People, My Country, and one of the segments of that was all about all about this. And I wonder whether it was linked with getting TV and it was the, one of the first things like the coronation in the UK it was like what was the first oh, thing that everybody watched on TV so I landing. think that yeah the moon, moon landing so I think it might be tied with one of those it's like it's a it's, mark it's like the it's collective ma it's marking the it's saying we've gone back it's in the time. collective yeah. event it's the collective of oh yeah I mean obviously it's saying well this is when it was but it's a collective event that everybody remembers because it was the first thing that was televised maybe throughout oh, all of China when so. everybody first got and I think that's part of it anyway it was, it's a curious little sort of moment and you're like oh this again wow it's almost you know it must be like the 66 World Cup for, for people in the UK it's like it's just a sporting event interesting a, a sporting topic victory. you know let's let's compile a few more of these I mean that's in, I mean those those events you're talking about yeah, no, absolutely. So I think that you know the film is successful. I did, I did enjoy. It. Is entertaining, and you understand exactly why it has struck a chord. Brilliant. With, uh, We're going to the, the news in just a second. What are we going to come out with? Uh, we are going to come out with the father and also Mortal Kombat. Yeehaw! If you've just joined us, you are mid. Marshy movie time. Get on Facebook Live if you want and chip in. He's just been talking about Hi Mum, which sounds like uh, it's going to be a great film, but perhaps a willing but willing abandonment of disbelief film. How's that? Absolutely. It doesn't. Uh, yeah, it's a time travel film that does not care about, about even broaching <laughs> the topic of, of physics or science. Smoking, smoking. Right. What we got now? It's a fantasy. Yeah. Okay. Let's do The Father, which is a big awards-nominated okay. film uh, starring Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman. It's directed by Florian Zeller. His first time filmmaker. Uh, it's based on his own play and adapted by him and Christopher Hampton, the great, uh, arguably a, a great playwright who has actually helped him like with the with the screenplay of the film. Uh, it is about a man called Anthony who is uh, a, you know an, an elderly British man in advancing years who lives in a um, London apartment by himself, but is regularly vi visited by his adult daughter uh, Anne, played by Olivia Coleman. Uh, and he is s somewhat in the throes of dementia. And we very quickly realise um, that, you know, he's kind of in, he's in almost like a, a state of denial about it. Uh, and Anne is weighing up her, you know, she's on the one hand getting used to the concept of the fact that her father might not recognise who she is whenever she sort of pops around to see him. Uh, he might be irritable and almost violent at times other times he can be very sort of charming and very affable uh, and it's incredibly this increasingly unpredictable behavior is kind of throwing her through a loop and she doesn't really quite understand or, or doesn't quite know isn't quite certain what exactly she's going to do about it right. now what the film does is it does an incredible job of disorienting the audience one minute we're in this flat in london the next minute we're at anne's house and apparently um this is where Anthony has actually been living for a while. We're not sure if we're on in, in the same day. Uh, characters come in and out of the of the apartment and out of the rooms. Is this by any chance because he, I haven't seen it, of course, he may say, oh, it's lovely here in X, when in fact he is in Y. That's quite a well-known thing. 
What the film, what the film is doing is is helping the audience to understand what his worldview is like. Yep. Uh, you know, char characters come in and out. Uh, and are, are, are played by different actors and are apparently the same people. You know, Olivia Coleman uh, comes in and she's Anne, and then apparently Olivia Williams walks in and she's Anne. Oh, uh, yes, brilliant. He often, he often, he often mistakes uh, Anne for Laura, who is his... Uh, who is his other daughter who hasn't been around for years and it seems that there is a, a family tragedy in the past that he has forgotten about or is confused about. Um, so it does this wonderful sort of disorienting technique where you're not sure exactly where you are at any one time. Uh, you're not sure whether you're in his flat or whether you're in Anne's house. You're not sure who exactly is who. You know, um, Rufus Sewell will walk into the scene and apparently that's Paul. Apparently that's Anne's wife. Uh, then he'll walk into another room and Mark Gatiss is sitting there and apparently he is Paul. Uh, but then in, they'll have Very another clever. conversation yeah. and, be, and he'll be like, oh, well, you're, you're James, right? You're... Anne's husband, they'll be like, no, I, I'm not married. Or it'll be, no, I, we, got it, we got divorced years ago. So you're never quite sure where you are in time, you know, how much time is passing exactly. There seems to be, it could all be happening in one day, almost. You know, there is a run-up to an event where he's going, he's, he's um, they're sort of interviewing for a new carer because he has gone through a ton of carers because his, his behavior and his mm. mood and his attitude, the, the way he reacts to strangers uh, is incredibly unpredictable. And apparently he's gone through a, a bunch of, of home help. And there is a, an imminent interview with somebody new who's coming to see him. And also, you know, they are deciding whether or not to put him in a home. And so that topic keeps coming up. And obviously it's very... Uh, uh, explosive uh so i this was a film that i you know when i heard about it i thought okay here we go this this sounds like a very sort of stodgy um typical awards bait kind of drama okay anthony hopkins has got dementia however it's so inventively staged and inventively executed uh that it it really sort of surprised me and, and challenged me in a really positive way i think anthony hopkins is brilliant yes. in a way that we that we hadn't, I was about to say we haven't, but we hadn't seen in him for quite a long time. And then he did The Two Popes last year, and I thought he was absolutely excellent in that <clears throat> as Pope Benedict. And he is very different and yet equally brilliant here. And uh, it's almost, you know, it, it, I think in any other year he would have been a shoe in for, you know, all of these Best Actor awards. Um, you know, which appear to be going to Chadwick Boseman, and rightly so, and we all know why. Uh, but I think in any other year, it, it would have been sort of Anthony Hopkins' sort of late great masterpiece, you know, a, a sort of late career highlight, which it absolutely is. Olivia Coleman is brilliant. I mean, like I said, there's a supporting cast that includes um, Olivia Williams and Mark Gatiss and Rufus Sewell and Imogen Boots, uh, all firing on top, all cylinders. Um, but it was, it's the construction and execution and delivery of, of the story and how it really helps you, the audience, understand his perspective that mm. makes it stand out and makes it special. Brilliant. Brilliant. I get that. That's fascinating. I, I still can't... I'm still into the way that they, they do this thing where he thinks it's somebody else. Mm. It's so simple and yet brilliant. Yeah, and I think I was surprised because I, I only saw the film very recently and I saw all of its Oscar nominations come out first. And I was surprised to see that it would it was nominated in categories like production design and i was like really because it you know i saw the trailer and it just looks like a sort of drab apartment or whatever but it's very um inventive in how it 
fools you into uh, you know knowing for certain where you are and that is as much to do with the production design uh, and the lighting and the, you know the editing as it is with the performances themselves and the writing. Uh, I, you know, this is based on stage play, and you can imagine how all of this sort of going in and out. You know, he'll go from one room to the next, and without you realizing, they've completely changed scene, and it's now at a completely. They may have jumped back in time. They may have jumped forward in time. They may not even be in the same uh, home anymore. And you can see how this would have worked on stage, you know, with, with lighting and what have you in a very sort of imaginative and creative way. What this doesn't do is feel like a play cool. in the way that something like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom or some of the other films, One Night in Miami, some of the other uh, films out this year that have been adapted mm. from stage plays, you know, have struggled to break free of those trappings. This does an incredible job of it, and ironically, uh, all while sort of be, uh, while being staged in sort of one or two locations. Great, it's Moving great, on. it's yeah. really good. Okay, Mortal Kombat. Yay! Is join us on Facebook Live if you're eating your lunch and you've got nothing to do. Tell us what you think of what he's uh, what he's highlighting this week. Okay, so are you were you aware of the video game Mortal Kombat, which uh, came out not. in the early nineties? Okay, well, it's it's a fighting game, okay? Essentially where you pick a character and you go round after round after round after round fighting an assortment of different characters one-on-one. And uh, it was, it's, it's been going since the early 90s, lots of different iterations of it. And it is notorious and controversial during its time for being incredibly violent and incredibly bloody. You know, particularly what are called the, the fatal, fatal moves. Every character has these sort of signature moves that if you pressed, you know, your joystick and your buttons are, are the right, in the right combinations, it, it would, um, they would have these great sort of kill moves. And uh, so it's made it a firm favourite. The franchise has been a firm favourite for gamers for about almost, uh, I guess it's well, about 20 years now. Um, there have been some attempts to bring this to the screen before, um, most famously by Paul W.S. Anderson, who just did Monster Hunter that's still out at the moment <clears throat> and did all the Resident Evil films later. And it, what it did, the two things that it did that pe- the fans didn't like is it took basically took all the violence out. It made it far more of a sort of cartoony, almost superhero-y kind of fantasy movie. And it sidelined a lot of the main characters who are Asian. You know, one of the, one of the key points about this, um, this series is it's, you know, and it is a sort of otherworldly, supernatural, mystical kind of world that it creates. Uh, is that, you know, a lot of the main characters are Asian. You know, they are samurais and ninjas and wushu masters and Shaolin monks and all the rest yeah. of them. And you felt that in the film versions, they were kind of sidelining them and highlighting characters like Johnny Cage and Sonya Blade, who are legitimate characters in the movie, in the, in the games, but they are just one character of a dozen. And in the film, it was like, oh, yeah, stick the white people out front. And it was like that... <laughs> That was, you know, a poor, a poor representation of what the game actually does. What this new film does, which is a kind of complete reboot, the the, the whole franchise was kind of stuck in uh, development hell for years because they were promised to do another one and then they could never get another one made and it, it just sort of sat languishing for a mm. long time and it has since been completely sort of rebooted and reworked. Um, Credit due to, I think, producer James Wan, who's responsible for, like, Saw and The Conjuring and Aquaman most recently. (laughs) Yeah, he's a big hitter. He's an Asian filmmaker, Asian-Australian, I believe, or Malaysian-Chinese-Australian. And, you know, he wanted to readdress this balance 
in both cases. He was like, well, this is supposed to be violent, so let's make it violent. Really violent. And, if you did Saw, see you later. <laughs> well, he did. <laughs> so, so you have some idea, you know, Hold and the conjuring in a bigger... <laughs> yeah. he, has a, he has a background in horror, and he is also an Asian filmmaker, and so he wanted to put all those in. So anyway, so what you get is essentially uh, a guy called Cole Young, played by Lewis Tan, who's an up-and-coming uh, actor that's been in Wu Assassins and Into the Badlands, but this is his big break. He's a British-Chinese actor. Lewis Tan, he plays Cole Young, who's this washed-up MMA fighter, and he has a birthmark of a dragon on his arm, and he just never thought anything of it. And that, that means he is chosen to take part in Mortal Kombat, which is a, to a fighting tournament against the evil forces of Outworld, and if they win, they're going to take over the whole Earth and kill every everybody. <laughs> With a single so court. the evil. So so basically, what he does is he gets he gets recruited by some weird people uh, who who say, look, you know, you don't know who you are, you don't know what your uh, what what your calling is, and they whisk him off where he meets Lord Raiden, the Thunder God, who teaches him about uh, his l true lineage, which may have something to do with ancient samurai warriors, and also how to tap into his strength and find his arcana which will unleash his hidden superpowers and they need his help to save the world so if you like martial arts if you like fantasy if you like video games if you like to see people fight and people kill each other in this. ridiculously <laughs> ridiculously gory ways then this is for you. You've got some really sort of accomplished martial artists, not least uh, Joe Taslim, Indonesian Joe Taslim from The Raid, and he's in Fast and Furious 6, and he plays um, Sub-Zero, who is the great sort of villainous assassin of the piece. Um, there's some excellent sort of fight choreography in it, uh, which blends sort of very, obviously very accomplished on-screen uh, martial arts with the sort of the CGI sort of magical superpower aspects of it and they do a pretty good job uh, the characterizations are sort of broad and silly everybody everybody has their sort of one character trait whether it be that they're sort of noble or they're obnoxious or they're uh, unpredictable or what what have it uh, what have you and um, they really run with it so you know the story is is nonsense and it's just a uh, a vehicle for all of these fights for all it of is, these showdowns but that's what the game is is this another one of those total mm, done brilliantly that comes back time yeah, and I mean, time again if you're if you're yeah if you're coming here for you know, nuanced characterization, uh, emotionally involved drama, <laughs> all the rest of it. You know, forget it. I mean, this isn't the father. This is absolutely not the father. But if you like a good, uh, you know, beat em up, martial arts, fantasy, yeah. nonsense, thrill ride, then uh, this is this is a good one. Mansfield uh, Park. This isn't right. This ain't. <laughs> but be warned. This is this is full blown category three. Uh, people getting stabbed in the head and bisected and all the rest of it brilliant we got time for one more what you got it's fab um okay naomi kawasi uh who is this can can darling auteur japanese filmmaker who i have never really liked i want to get that <laughs> off out there immediately she has a new film called true mothers uh middle-aged couple have been struggling to conceive for a long time they always wanted the kids find out that he's shooting blanks uh and so they decide to adopt so they adopt this boy uh the baby and they you know raise him and five years later they get a phone call and guess what it's the birth mother has tracked them down and she was a teenager who 
you know, had a sort of a mistaken, unwanted pregnancy and at the time was forced by her parents and everybody else to give up the baby. Mm. And guess what? She's had second thoughts. So, you know, this... This is a really sort of condescending film, I thought, masquerading this, this as high isn't, art. isn't going to last too long, is it? I can tell. This final bit no. of Marshy movie time, it's not really going to take too long. Vulgar no, but she's, I mean, she's very, in certain circles, Naomi Kwasi is very highly regarded, yeah. and I have never quite understood why, because, you know, long lingering shots of sunlight through dappled shade and uh, water gently lapping on a, a rocky coastline is not high art. It's not poetry unless there's anything behind it. It's just pretty pictures. And she seems to have built a career bolstered by the Cannes Film Festival, you know, who do like to discover these auteurs and then market them, peddle them. Uh, and even they seem to have got bored of her, finally. Her last couple of films didn't premiere at Cannes after all of her other films did. Um, so basically what this does is it says, it seems to suggest, you know, she is a female f filmmaker. This needs to be sort of addressed. She seems to address the fact or push the fact that you know, women are only on the planet for one thing, and that's to have babies. And if they can't have babies, then they're no good to anybody. That seems to be sort of what the film is trying to say. That, you know, that you've got this middle-aged woman, or a woman approaching middle age, and she feels that her life is empty and incomplete because she hasn't had a baby. And once that she has a baby, you know, nothing could happen, nothing can possibly go wrong. You also have, on the other hand, this, this young girl who who destroys her entire life by getting pregnant as a teenager and it's, and it's just like what are you what kind of message are you are you trying to send here you know there is on the one hand you could be sending a sensible grounded message about the importance for teenage teenagers to be very careful and practice safe sex but this one just says you, it will this film says it, you will destroy your entire life if you dare to Why? copulate right <laughs> Okay. I just want to go back to that thing you mentioned about the long shots and everything. I mean, it worked brilliantly for Ken Russell. Yeah. You know, the, the, the shot that's just so long, you're like, wow. And then you go, okay, Ken. Ken? Ken? And then he moves to the next shot. Yeah, but Ken Russell, Ken Russell was a deranged genius. Well, there you, know? you go. And his, no, Ken, his really, films, you can move His now. films are not... His films are not remembered for their lingering takes. I mean, look at The Devils or Altered States or Women in Love. You know, he was he was a crazy genius who told, who made oh, films no that kidding. nobody else was making. No kidding. Naomi Kwasi is, is making films that nobody wants. And, <laughs> you know, she seems to think that just putting a camera in one place and leaving it there for 15 minutes says, says everything about the human condition. And I think you've said everything about That's that film, James. So why don't you just remind us what we did today? <laughs> Okay, True Mothers, I wasn't a fan. Yeah, I uh, Hi Mum. <laughs> Hi Mum is... Can you just uh, get off the fence, please? Chinese, Chinese box office smash hit, bit like, bit like Back to the Future. Yes. Uh, I actually quite liked it, even, even if it has a central casting problem. Uh, Mortal Kombat is exactly what it says on the tin, and then some do not take your children. You know, you'll probably have kids who are playing, play, like to play the games. It's full on. And... Um, and then The Father, which is a very, very worthwhile uh, Oscar contender. And Anthony Hopkins hasn't been this good, maybe, maybe ever. Wow. Praise indeed. Take care, James. We'll do it next week. Bye for now.